Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. today's podcast, I welcome Maria Emmerich. Maria is a nutritionist who specializes in the ketogenic diet and exercise physiology. She struggled with her own health and weight throughout childhood, which led her to become such a passionate nutrition expert. She earned her master's degree in health from the University of River Falls and has been a keynote speaker both internationally and nationally. Maria has appeared on Good Day New York, New Orleans, and Twin Cities Live. She specializes in brain neurotransmitters and how food can increase mental wellness. She's also cooked with Halle Berry and writes for Halle's website. She has written 20 books with two more coming out this year. Her books focus on low carb, ketogenic and carnivore recipes that are delicious and easy to make. She resides between Hawaii and her home state of Wisconsin with her husband and her two sons who are becoming quite the YouTube stars with their cooking skills. Maria's goal is to help transform people's lives and start living again. So welcome, Maria. Oh my gosh, thank you for that really sweet intro. I, I appreciate that. You're so sweet. I always love reading everybody's intro and them thinking to themselves, wow, I've actually done all of that. Right. It's, it's, it's incredible, right? What people have done when it starts out as just a passion in their own journey. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know how this all started, but it was really like quite miraculous. Yeah, actually, I want to do a little medical disclaimer and then I do want to um, share with folks your story. So just a little medical disclaimer before we begin that we are not medical doctors. And hopefully you'll walk away from this podcast with a handful of nuggets that you can apply into your own lifestyle and your family, but absolutely talk to your primary care physician if you're thinking about making any lifestyle changes, especially dietary, um, and, and talk to them and also become your own detective and research about what your goals are and how you want to get there. So today we're going to talk about raising healthy eaters from little kids to teens to college students. And as a mom of five kids, I know firsthand how challenging that is to feed your kids nutritious nutritious meals, but also to teach them how to cook healthy food for themselves. Because as they grow older, we want them to make these smart choices while they're away from home and keep it clean while living in a college dorm situation. And my kids are all really athletic. So from a really young age, I use their athleticism as motivation for making healthy choices. And they, if they were upset about how they performed in a game, mostly hockey, I would say, well, what'd you eat that day? Did you have Skittles? You know, did you have McDonald's? Did you drink uh, Coca-Cola? What'd you do? And so they would think about it and start making the connections over time. And I realized that's not the case with everyone, but with me, that was a big part of my approach um, with my kids. I also had kids with, have kids with ADHD, anxiety, depression, IBS, acne. I mean, you name it, kids, five kids, you pretty much cover almost every situation. So today I wanna to shed light on the importance of whole food nutrition starting at a young age and how us parents and caregivers can encourage healthy eating choices with our kids because it's a really uh, not an easy feat. So before we dig in, um, Maria, Tell us how you got here about your, your story, your own health story, and then bringing your um, kids into your life. Uh, absolutely. Um, when I was 16, I was, I was literally twice my size and I was always an athlete like your kids. I was one of the biggest athletes literally. And, you know, I was one of the best ones. Um, so I was working out all the time, but I still couldn't work out off what I was eating. Um, I went to my family doctor because I just wasn't feeling well. And at that visit, I was told I had PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is basically a, a insulin resistance type two diabetes that affects female fertility. I also had depression. So she gave me an antidepressant. Um, I also had IBS. So I had a prescription for that, that she gave me. And I had pretty severe acid reflux. So she gave me a medication for that. Um, but that very same week I have, I had this beautiful golden retriever that was losing patches of her hair and I took her to the vet. And the first question the vet asked me 
was what are you feeding her? Mm. But my doctor said it was nothing I was doing wrong. It was just the cards I was dealt. But Jill, let me tell you, mm-hmm. I worked at a coffee shop where before high school, I would go there and make the scones and the cinnamon rolls and muffins, go to school. And then after school, I would go back. And when we closed, whatever didn't sell for the day, I got to go home with. And mm-hmm. you can make darn sure I would make extra cinnamon rolls because I loved them so much. And that's kind of like what I ate. And so my doctor failed me. Like, totally. All I had was these drugs and I didn't want to take any of them. So I took the route of being like, wow, what my vet said, my dog's hair grew bad within a month. And so I just started changing my diet and it wasn't, I'm a foodie at heart. I didn't want to eat chicken breast and broccoli. So I just started creating these recipes of my favorite things just without all of the sugar, without the carbohydrates, making these different versions of like cinnamon rolls. Um, And I just kind of did it by myself. I would make them for people. And I met my husband at the young age of 17 and told him, I probably can't have my own kids. My doctor told me I couldn't. He's like, that's right, we'll adopt. And, you know, I was like married before I could even drink alcohol. Um, And so we started adopting and my husband lost his job. Um, and at the time I, I went to school for nutrition, but I, when I graduated, I just want to be a mom. And so I was a rock climbing guy, just preparing to Mm -hmm. adopt his children. Um, and when he lost his job, our adoption fell through and someone in town, a friend of mine said, Maria, why don't you put your recipes together in a cookbook to help raise money for your adoption? Mm. And why don't you start a blog? And I was like, what's a blog? This was well before. This was right. 15 years ago or whatever. I was like, what's a blog? And she's like, I'll help you. And honestly, it gave me a reason to wake up in the morning. Um, it just fueled my passion again. And it went gangbusters. Like it was just a self-published book, but people just loved it. And we put it on Amazon and now like Halle Berry has it. Like it's just mm-hmm. crazy, you know? It, your cookbooks are amazing. I can attest to all of your recipes. You could pick any of the millions of recipes she has, and they are all amazing. So, so absolutely. Well, at the end of this, I'm going to put all of that information on where to find your books. Um, so you adopted these two babies from another country. You bring them home. And what was that experience like in terms of feeding them? First of all, it's hard enough feeding your own baby, right? And just figuring that out. But now you're have you're raising two babies that aren't biologically yours. And that must and they're coming from another culture. So that must have done, you know, put some obstacles in your path. I will say that their change in diet, they loved it. Um, that was the easiest part. The hard part was they didn't, they never experienced a bathtub in their life. They, you know, so they screamed in the bathtub. Uh, they didn't know what a dog was. So they screamed at the dog. They hated the dog. They hated, I was like, they hate me, but the food actually was kind of quite easy. Um, they were living off of nothing but starch when they first came into our life. They, even though they weren't even on the growth charts, they were so tiny. My son Kai was over a year old, but I would hold him in my baby carrier. I have pictures and you know, I'm only like five one. He was just itty bitty. Like I could hold him like he was a newborn. Um, that's how small both of them were. Um, but they still had that very, especially my toddler, Micah had a very large starch belly. Um, even though he was very small for his age. Mm -hmm. Um, And once we changed them to, um, you know, a ketogenic lifestyle, they're now at the 80th percentile. We we have a lot of like charts just, Mm -hmm. you know, mainly for our own uh, self, you know, uh, comforting, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, food actually wasn't too difficult. we, I had a dear friend that pumped breast milk for me, um, but we did bone broth. Um, my, my, especially the, the, my youngest, he loved to drink bone broth. I have videos of him just begging for it and bone marrow and all these things. Like what I feel is, do I wanna eat you know, all this or organ meat and all this stuff that's just filled with nutrients? 
you know, my palate was like, ah, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But when you start your children off with savory foods, instead of going right to the sweet thing, you can really influence your children on how their palates form. Like to this day, um, we have videos chasing my youngest around with a, a cookie that doesn't have any sugar in it. He's like, I don't want a cookie. I don't want a cookie. And he wanted um, uh, some protein. He wa I wanted the salmon. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, like most kids would be like, yes, I right. want a cookie. Um, but he just doesn't, he doesn't crave that. Um, he really has more of a savory tooth. And I feel that the there's no judging in my life. I grew up eating, like you said, Skittles and McDonald's mm -hmm. and all that junk. But you, as parents, we are in charge. We are. They, they, my kids don't have a license. They don't have money. I'm, I'm bringing it into the home and I'm responsible for them and their future, you know? So before you adopted them, did you and Craig sit down and have a discussion of how we want to raise our kids in terms of nutrition? Because so many first-time parents have all the best intentions in the world to feed their kids, you know, organic and in the, the best quality, right? But then the kid goes to the grandparents' house or the aunt and uncle come over with the older cousins and all of a sudden there's like sugary cakes showing up and pies and ice cream and you know milk chocolate and stuff like that so how were you and Craig able to stay on track and make that decision and stick to it mm -hmm. versus the first time parents out there who are trying so hard but all these outside influences are making them question well are we being too strict should we allow our kids to have a cookie like mm -hmm. you know either end of the spectrum has its advantages and disadvantages you know um i guess at the time i already was working with so many families with illnesses and sick children and ADHD and autism and all of these things to the point where I don't think that we actually had that conversation, but it was known. Like, we're not having sugar in the house. We're not having grains in the house. Like, this is our life. I'm not a short order cook. I'm writing books that are being sold around the world. Why would I go back? Why would it? I just can't be a hypocrite and let, you know, my kid fail my kids by giving them just sugar and goldfish crackers and cereal and skim milk and all of this stuff that made me sick you know i don't i don't want that but you know what else they love the food like i have gummy bears i have all of these things that you know to mm -hmm. what looks like you know a treat to anybody else they don't realize it's just gelatin there's it's like two ingredients there's no sugar in it um and it tastes really good um but yeah, there's definitely times where um, my parents have failed me and my kids come back to me saying, I don't feel good. And I was like, you know, that is your choice. I'm never mad at them. I'm mad at my parents for tempting them with that stuff. Yeah. It was more about the vegetable oils that I'm so upset about because that's hurting us more than sugar. Um, but I would never get mad at my children. They're just kids. And I would, I would just say, how do you feel? And they're like, I don't want to feel like this again. And just like you said, use it as a tool. Yeah. Be like, you can be feeling awesome. I love waking up feeling like a million bucks. And they do too. Why would I trade that for 15 minutes of eating something tasty and delicious and then feel awful for days? It's just not worth it. And so teaching them that, um, it, it's just, you know, you have to get them in that moment of when they feel really awful. There's a time that we were on a flight to our place in Hawaii and um, we have a soda streamer at home. And so we have soda at home. I right. shouldn't call it soda because I went to the washroom, the bathroom and uh, the flight attendant asked my son, do you want a soda? And <laughs> since you have five kids, you realize, you don't sit two boys together. So we right. had separate rows. My husband was in a different row with my other son. And so the flight attendant asked my youngest, do you want a soda? He's like, yeah. So she gave him a Sprite 
And by the time I got back, he drank that whole thing and he threw up on me and it's a long flight. Oh God. To Hawaii, and I didn't have a change of clothes. And to this day, he's like, I don't ever want that again. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it does take that experience to also help teach both the parent and the child. I used to, so my kids were big hockey players and still are. And I used to have a rule in the house with my, my um, then husband. I would say, if you take them to the rink and you return them to me and they're bouncing off the walls before 11 AM, they're yours for the day. Yeah. So, so do not buy the Skittles, right? Cause they'd come home at nine in the morning. They'd be having like Skittles, right? Uh -huh. And I'd say all yours and I'd leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I do hear that, especially with a lot of parents that are separated or divorced at one house, it's this and at another house is that. And what I tell the, you know, the parents is that's, you know, trying to do the healthy, you know, version, you're, you can only do what you can when they're with you. And that's, right. that's alone is going to do miraculous things. And that, that will plant a seed in their mind for the future. But I think a lot of times kids aren't getting any of that influence. I didn't get any of that influence. And even to this, like when I did start changing and cutting sugar and grains out of my life, my mom made me my favorite pie. My parents even were triggered that I was going to change. And I did change for the better. My depression went away right away. And what's interesting is when somebody tries to cut alcohol out of their life, nobody makes them a vodka soda. Right. But when you cut sugar or some sort of food out of your life, people are triggered. They don't support you. And it's really sad. Yes. I started on my own health journey when I was about 15, 16, mostly as a result of watching my father who had such poor health, who ultimately died of a heart attack. But the way he ate and the way he felt and the way he didn't move just triggered me on all levels. And I didn't know anything. What did I know? I had to figure out my own equation over the course of, you know, 25 years, um, more actually. And it's, it's a journey and all these experiences lead to where you might want to end up. And it's, you just have to really tap into um, how food makes you feel. And my parents were not that supportive in the beginning either. They were like, what are you, what are you eating this stuff for? Like I would make my mom drive me to an organic farm to get dairy and eggs, right? And she'd be like, what, what is wrong with you? Like, how are you my child, right? But it was something intuitive in me that said, I don't feel that good. And so I need to figure out alternative ways to make myself feel better. And I was super young. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, my family is all on board and they're like, wow, we probably shouldn't have made fun of you back then because <laughs> now we want your help. <laughs> That's awesome that they're on board because yeah, very much so. feel, like when we go to the holidays, um, we're in the trust tree, I can tell you. So my parents are awesome. They did this whole smorgasbord for, I think it was Christmas one year. They had prime rib and they had shrimp and they had fish. They had all of these beautiful meats and you know produce and all of this and what was interesting is when we went through the line because it was like a buffet style we went through the line when my kids looked at the bread they said mommy is this your bread because I have like this wonderful zero carb bread it's made with two ingredients it's mind-blowing and I was like oh no I'm a big fan of it by the way thank you my dear friend I, well they were like is this your bread mom and I was like sorry guys it's not and I guess everybody heard that and thought it was me saying, don't take the bread, which I didn't say that. Mm -hmm. So they just walked by all of the bread products and stuff. And I got a lot of judgment from that. However, my brother who has children the same age as my boys, they didn't eat anything and they made them a frozen tombstone pizza. Mm. And yet I'm the one who gets judged. Right. Like right. that. It's funny because people are like, Maria, is keto healthy for kids? I'm like, I'm telling you to eat meat and vegetables. I'm not telling you to, like, why is it a kid that's eating a Pop-Tart? That's okay. Right. right. But eating just things that don't have a label on them is weird. To me, that's yeah. not, that's not weird to me. That's right. real food. Right. Well, I want to talk about the ketogenic lifestyle with kids. And I want to open it up with type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. 
So type 2 diabetes among youth has increased exponentially over the past 20 years. In 2015, an estimated almost 6,000 kids were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And type 2 diabetes, folks, is the diabetes you can absolutely reverse with lifestyle changes. And there's about 5,000 new cases per year, tripling the numbers for kids ages 10 to 14 and 15 to 18. According to the USDA, the 2000 food, pair, food guide pyramid was set up for families to follow as their nutritional guideline. And here's a couple of the things they say. Eat six to 11 servings of a variety of grains, especially whole grains daily. So I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean six to 11 servings of, of grains? If your kid has celiac disease or your kid has autoimmunity or chronic inflammation, you absolutely cannot be serving them six to 11. You can't even serve them one serving of those grains a day. And then it says to watch your fat intake, especially saturated fat and to lower, eat lower cholesterol foods. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, and this is saying for everyone in the family older than two, but I'm thinking to myself, Breast milk is all saturated fat and cholesterol. And that the reason we want to breastfeed our children is because we want to give them those healthy fats for their brain development and for their heart. Um, then it says to save sweets and soft drinks for special treats. But as, as we were just saying, those special treats then tend to become baseline and they expect it all the time. Sugar triggers wanting sugar. It says to eat low fat or non-fat dairy products, which are higher in sugar. And it says to eat two to three ounces of cooked lean meat and that eating eight ounces of meat a day like a burger is directly associated with heart disease. Mm -hmm. And that's just crazy to me. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I should be dead of a heart attack, right? Right. I mean, that, that's what I eat. I had a steak for breakfast. Like, me too. <laughs> it's just, I should be dead. And like you said, um, what was interesting is I spoke at this event where the woman in front of me was uh, a doctor that spoke and she said, get rid of all the saturated fat, get rid of all the cholesterol, use canola oil. She actually yeah. gave this advice. And so here I am. Okay, I'm next. I do not want to hurt this woman's feelings, but I do need, there was thousands of people. I do need to squash this and make sure people understand. And so I stood up on stage and like you said, I said, everybody agrees that breast milk's the best food for a baby, right? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, do you know it's primarily made up of cholesterol? And they're like, no. I was like, that's because it's making the baby's gonads, it's making their hormones. Like you said, it's building their brain. At what age is that bad? Is it age five, 10? According to the USDA, it's age two. Oh my gosh. So what's interesting is when I work with men that are on statin drugs and statin drugs naturally lower cholesterol, not naturally, it's a drug that lowers cholesterol. Right. When I work with those men, guess what they're also taking? Viagra. Mm. Because they don't have any testosterone because right. cholesterol makes healthy hormones. So when you work with someone who has low thyroid or low progesterone, women that are going through menopause or they have a hysterectomy, guess what? Their cholesterol goes through the roof and the doctor wants to put these women on statin drugs. What's going on? They're low in progesterone. They're low in estrogen. They're low in thyroid hormone. And the cholesterol is trying to make it. And the, so, the sad thing is, is we were told to stay away from saturated fat the sheath of our bones are made up of saturated fat. And so people, we're not only just breaking bones, we're shattering bones. I love to tell the story about my great grandma, Minnie Cress, when she was 93 years old. At Christmas, she excused herself to go to the bathroom. And instead of going to the bathroom, she opened the door to the basement, fell all the way down the stairs onto a concrete floor. At 93, that woman didn't break a bone. And she was little, like me. But you know what? When I would go to her house, I would help clean her house when I was a kid. And I was like, what is this thing in your fridge? It was a coffee cup. And I was like, can I get rid of this? She goes, that's liquid gold. I was like, it's not liquid. It was lard. Mm. That's what she cooked with. Right. That's why she was so healthy to the right. age of 100. This is why right. she didn't break a bone. But now 
we're told to eat canola oil and all the soybean oil. That's what's really causing heart disease. And that's really interesting you say that because in 2011, the food, the food pyramid became my healthy plate. And the my plate started shifting the visual of nutrition. So we're not having this pyramid. Now we have this plate and it's all mapped out for us. And it gets to the healthy oil section. Use healthy oils like canola oil. It's, uh, it's just unbelievable to me. And these rancid seed oils, going back to something earlier said, is they are hidden in almost every healthy, whole food, Trader Joe's looking treat for your kids. Oh, and just because something has the word organic on it does not mean it's healthy for your child. No. I think organic chips is like an oxymoron. Right. And like it's in salad dressings. It's in mayonnaise, like even these keto products. And that's what I get really sad about is that there's these really powerful keto influencers out there that have half a million followers and they're using, you know, craft mayo and these salad dressings and all of these things that I'm like, oh, this is why people are failing on the ketogenic diet saying, I'm not feeling better. My joint pain's not getting better. Like, why is this? And that's the thing, like keto's not all about weight loss. Let's get that clear. Like my kids are growing and thriving on that. You can build muscle on the ketogenic diet. People do it for um, whether it be heart disease or pain, joint pain, epilepsy, um, whatever it is. It's not just about weight loss, but you know, 99% of people jump into it for that. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about your kids and not eating any grains and that there's such a misconception that grains provide us energy and for they're great for our kids before they go and play soccer and that they also help keep our kids fuller for longer. And, you know, how do we explain? how do we explain to parents and caregivers out there that that is not always the answer? So I, I do believe there's that some kids can have some complex carbohydrates, right? Like my kids are big athletes, you know, they're big boys or six, six, two. I, my baby is actually a professional hockey player. He needs certain types of complex carbohydrates because he's on the ice, you know, twice a day and training all day. And that's his job. And so for that kind of situation where a young adult is lean, has nice muscle mass and is living a healthy lifestyle, I think that complex carbohydrates are necessary. Like he does need that for, I don't think he, like I'm a carnivore. I don't think that he would get the same energy output if he was strictly keto or carnivore. Um, but then I think there's other kids who shouldn't be having those complex carbs and, and the grains. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I would say that the word need, I, I wouldn't agree with that. I don't think he needs okay. that, but he hasn't trained his body to switch, which is a very, I mean, I have, I, I personally run marathons without basically zero carbohydrates, but training your body to burn fat for fuel instead of the complex carbs it takes time to do that. Yes. And if that's his job and he doesn't have time to take off, like it's definitely a transition that your body has to be trained to do. What's interesting is I've been doing it for 24 years to the point where when I do have complex carbs, my energy tanks because I've become, too. it's yes. flipped for me. Um, but you know, you know, Zach Bitter, he's, he's winning 100 mile races he's breaking world records running a hundred mile races on a ketogenic diet. So I don't know if needing is the word, but he, your son thrives on him. I'm he's, you know, whatever. Um, but my children, they don't really eat any carbohydrates and they're, you know, they're little, they're not six feet, you know, they're, they're my, they're my height. Um, but they thrive without it. And I do have a son that I don't doubt he would be bouncing off the walls. He's, you can see it in his YouTube videos. He's a crazy, funny kid. He's just very energetic. And if he did have sugar, I fear the day. That right, we, right. Like, like you said, your husband take care of him. I'd be like, who gave this? You, you, it's not my child right now. Like go, <laughs> because he would be bouncing off the walls. Um, but when you said like, 
uh, grains or, you know, these foods are more satiating, how hunger happens is a falling blood sugar. So you eat grains, sugar, complex carbs, whatever it is, blood sugar goes up. And even if your blood sugar is high, when it starts coming down, that's how hunger happens. So even if you went to a Chinese buffet and ate a whole bunch of rice with sugary chicken and all of that, you're, you went to a buffet, your stomach should be full for days, right? You just ate a whole bunch. But as soon as that blood sugar starts to fall, you're like, oh yeah, I could have some ice cream. It's not because your body needs any more calories. It probably needs some nutrients, that's for sure. But what's happening is the blood sugar starts to fall. If you eat in a way with, that you don't have any sugar or grains, you can go a very long period without eating. A lot of times people are like eating once a day. I'm not saying you have to do that, but even my, my kids, you know, like when we're at the beach playing with friends, the kids, they'll have to take a break and have lunch. And they're like, oh man, can we just play, keep playing football? You know, cause they would rather just keep playing than even think about food. So I don't know, not needed. What do you recommend as an approach for young kids, not young kids, but more like teens and college age kids who are really thin? They're just naturally thin, super high uh, metabolism and they cannot gain weight. And let's just say that you have a 14 to 16 year old boy, super tall, super lean, and he's getting ready to go to college soon. And he wants to fill out and build that muscle. How would one go about doing that as a young adult in terms of building muscle and gaining weight on something like a ketogenic life? Absolutely. Well, first I would look at the gut health because, you know, if things are going right through you, if you aren't absorbing nutrients, if you have like, especially like a boy, I would find out what's his ferritin, like how, how is the absorption rate of what he's eating? Um, Because if he's not absorbing the minerals, then you'd have to heal the gut first. So he can absorb things. Cause that's, that is what happens a lot of times that, you know, like people are eating, uh, whether it be you're eating the right things or wrong things, if they're not being, you're not what you eat, you are what you absorb. Let's yes. put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would look at that first and then you, you need amino acids. So there's carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. Those are the three macronutrients. There are essential fatty acids. That means that they're essential. You need to eat them. There's essential amino acids. That's from protein. That means that you need to need to eat them. There are no essential carbohydrates. Okay. So the building blocks, like the little Legos you need to build muscle, those come from the amino acids and that's protein. And so we are giving like those dietary guidelines. We are giving people just the minute amount of protein. Mm -hmm. So they don't basically fade away. Mm -hmm. So prioritizing protein, that's what we do. That's the thing. When you look at studies about the ketogenic diet in children and they're failing to thrive, they're studying children that have epilepsy. First of all, they're already at a disadvantage. And second of all, working with those patients, I have to keep their fat higher, their protein moderate in most, in most cases, not every case, because otherwise the seizures start to happen. But in a child that doesn't have that, prioritize protein Mm because that's going to help their muscles grow. That's going to help them build muscle and get strong, like you said, gain some weight and eat plenty of saturated fat because that's going to help with the hormones. That's the thing. A lot of times you can just talk to teenagers about, you know, their hormones. They're creating not only like their happiness, their moods their testosterone, um, their energy levels. Like a lot of times when they're living off of things like the canola oil or McDonald's or all these things that are just filled with all these harmful oils and not prioritizing good, healthy, saturated fats and cholesterol, their testosterone's tanked. So their moods are lower, their energy's lower, all of this. And so prioritizing healthy proteins and healthy saturated fats just by like, hey, I want, what happened was when I started this and my depression went away, I was like, I don't care what anybody says, this is, this is the key. This is like a magic 
pill that flipped my moods upside down. It made me, I had people that knew me back then, they're like, who are you? You know, and food can do that. Absolutely. Food molecules are messengers in your gut, in your brain, for your emotions. They, they, your, um, your body knows exactly what's coming in and how it's going to make you feel. And then your body is going to either gift you that day with energy and a nice sleep that evening and being able to get through your day without obsessing about when you're going to be eating again. And when you put in molecules of food that are going to send the wrong message, you are not gifted. Your body's going to hurt you with headaches and fatigue and um, bad moods and all those, you know, just feeling tanked. So it is super important to look at these food molecules as tiny little messengers every day or on a roller coaster ride. And it's always different. I love that you said that. I love that you're really on the whole oil thing because I, I, I totally agree with you. Like carbohydrates aside, the worst thing are those harmful oils because they're actually yep. changing the structure of our cells. So yep. A, we can no longer handle sugar and carbohydrates like we once were. And they're also not letting them talk properly anymore. So that's when MS and all these things start to happen because our chemical messengers are misshapen, you know? Right. And I will also say, when you think about like, you were talking about like thin people who like, they can eat whatever they want. They stay mm -hmm. skinny. They can eat McDonald's all day. Mm -hmm. They don't gain a weight. <clears throat> Here's the thing. You can be thin, very thin with type two diabetes. It's not how many Absolutely. fat cells you have. It's mm -hmm. how stuffed they are. And this is the whole Asian paradox, why I have a lot of clients that are Asian, they're thin. Uh, my last woman who was 105 pounds had type two diabetes so bad and she was ignoring it. She also became type one because she ignored what was going on in her body. She started having strokes and she said, Maria, I wish I would gain weight when I cheated because we are such a vain society, which is true. Yeah. We look at somebody who's thin and like, oh, they're so healthy or, oh, they're so lucky they can <clears> eat whatever <throat> they want. Mm, not so much true. They have a lot of inflammation going on, most likely. Absolutely. And, and they're malnourished. Mm -hmm. Most likely they're not eating enough calories and they are malnourished humans. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. When should we start teaching our kids how to cook and what are the best options uh, to start with kitchen tools, tips, hacks. Oh my, God. Um, <clears throat> my favorite thing to do is to look at like Facebook memories because I usually put, you know, pictures out there of us cooking and mm -hmm. just seeing how little my kids were and they're cracking eggs. I mean, my son could barely even talk and he's cracking an egg. Just mm -hmm. perfect. You know, Yes, you're going to waste food. Yes, you're going to get messy in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. There's going to be eggs broken <laughs> on the floor. There's going to be beef wherever. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, you will thank yourself five years from now that you do not have to cook. You could say, yeah. hey, hon, can you make me something? It doesn't have to be the other way around. Your 10-year-old doesn't have to say, mom, can you make me a sandwich? You say, hey, hon, can you make me a sandwich? Mm -hmm. Yes, you can have a sandwich on keto. Like yeah. you said, there's a bread, yeah. but yes, it takes time. Yes. It takes energy, but like, those are the moments that like, I'm almost tearing up because they're my favorite memories. Yeah. They really, really are like, and it's funny because my husband, it drives him nuts because the kitchen's like a total disaster. We have like the um, hand mixer, like there's stuff going everywhere, but I hope they remember that time, you know? I oh, they, they for sure will. I, so I grew up 
um, my mom and her sister, our houses were next to each other with a little trail in between. My, my aunt's style of cooking was very gourmet and my mom's was very, you know, simple and basic. And so any given day when I was a little girl, I'd be like, huh, what do I feel like eating? If I didn't like what my mom was making, I'd go down the little trail and show up at my aunt's and I'd be like, pull up my chair, hop on the chair and, and help her make like vichyssoise soup, you know, or something crazy. So those are my fondest memories. And I wanted to give that to my kids too. I always had them in the kitchen cooking and um, experimenting. And sometimes when the, when the food network started and there were all these competitions, my kids would hold competitions among themselves and it was a mess, but who cares? Right? Because now they're 18 to 26 and they are so dialed into how to shop how to read a nutrition label, mm-hmm. how to look at ingredients and how to cook. Yep. And they love recipes. They love the planning. They love meal prepping. I have two of my boy, boys um, meal prep every Sunday, huge sheet pans. And, and they didn't want me involved in that. They must've started when they were like 16 and 14. And so they went on YouTube and they decided they were going to look up these athletes who had the body that they wanted for the sport they were playing. And that's what they set out to do. I did nothing, but I believe it was the influence of constantly being in the kitchen and cooking. And I made everything. I, you know, I was like you, um, I just wanted everything to be homemade and clean ingredients. And that it, it, I wanted them to know how fun cooking can be. And so it wasn't looked upon as an adult is like, I have so many clients as adults who hate being in the kitchen. And th- that makes me sad because the, the kitchen is like the center of a house. At the same time, like we plan for so many aspects of our life. Why do we think that we don't have to plan for food? I don't right. get that. Like we plan for years, for trips, for our kids' college, for a new car, for a house. Why do we put food on the back burner? I don't really understand why we think we don't have to plan. Because that's why people are like, oh, I always fail on the diet because it it takes such planning. I was like, totally worth it to me. But honestly, is it really that hard? I don't I don't think it is. I, I think it also has a lot to do with how people are raised in their own family. If their parents loved cooking and grilling. My mom didn't. My mom hated it. She, really? yeah, she did not like cooking. She would, um, a lot of times it was white rice with cinnamon and sugar with skim milk on it. That was our dinner because she forgot to plan anything. And she still does not like to cook. But here's the thing. I remember her picking me up from kindergarten. And at that young age, I could feel her anxiety. Like, I don't know what to make for dinner. Like she would just have that. And for me, I took that with me as an adult. So I'm always one step ahead. Like I'm always one day ahead. Like you said, meal prepping, but the, the, here's a, here's a trick, my friends, whether it be adults, kids, whatever, get a slow cooker, Mm. especially Mm -hmm. in the summertime. I love slow cooking because I can put everything in there the night before, put the shell in the fridge in the morning, you just take it out and turn it on and then go on a bike ride. If it's summertime, go to the beach, whatever you come home to a nice, delicious meal. But this is why it's great when kids are in school because they're in sports, they're in drama, they're in all these after school activities. So when they do come home, they just open that slow cooker and eat. And that's when like mealtimes may be different for, you know, everybody in the family. That's mm-hmm. what the slow cookers for. You open it up. I have three, Absolutely. Slow cookers, yep. you know, and that's why I wrote so many recipes that are for slow cooker, instant pot, whatever, because it just takes a little planning ahead of time, but that takes away a lot of anxiety later. Yeah. And like, there was a time where we lost our house because we didn't, we couldn't pay our house payment. We sold our cars. So I don't like wasting food on going out to eat and all of that. So I like cooking at home. It saved us so much money by doing that. Even buying organic, it's way cheaper than buying, you know, a restaurant meal. But then also being able to 
I don't know. I, I'm a foodie. I like, I think my food tastes better than most restaurant food anyway. A hundred percent it does. And so does mine. And it, it, there's nothing more disappointing than going to a restaurant and having a subpar meal for quadruple the amount of the money you would have spent at home. And the other, one of the other reasons I was thinking about that, why people don't make time for meal planning is because we've made it so they don't have to. There are, um, Uber Eats, DoorDash. I mean, you name, there's what, like five delivery services. Uh, There's snacking everywhere. Everyone has snacks in their car, in their backpack. And these are sugar filled, even though they don't think they're sugar filled and rancid seed oil filled, they are. And just because you bought it at Whole Foods and just because it says keto on it still doesn't mean it's healthy. This is why I don't like saying I'm, you know, specialized in the ketogenic diet because a long time ago, I was a crazy, crazy lady, which I was okay with. Now, all of these products, now that keto is popular, are coming out and saying keto on the label. And I'm like, oh, I'm so disheartened with that because, you know, it has as much sugar as a Kit Kat or harmful things in it that yeah. I would never recommend. But I will tell you, Jill, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very blessed that there's comp- two companies in Europe and a company in the United States that are making my recipes only things that I approve of and they you can buy them as a frozen meal. So I think that's pretty cool. Like that's dairy, awesome. Yeah, you know what dairy free, nut free, all of these food allergens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just in the US, it's in Europe too, which I think is really wild and cool and I feel really grateful to work with these companies that truly care and let me tell you the guy in the u.s he's a chef and so like you said my meals are way better i'm surprised at how delicious his meals are like they're spot on that's awesome congrats on that um what are some tips we've talked about a lot of little kids stuff right now so what are some tips for big kids going off to college they're going to be living in a dorm situation the cafeteria food might not be great although i do have to say Many colleges now have upgraded their food because kids are coming in with certain um, autoimmune disorders, celiac disease, gluten intolerances. So there's, I, I feel there's a lot more options, but how, how do we send our kids to college and keep them on track? <laughs> That's the thing too, like even... So if you're in a dorm, I've heard that they allow air fryers. I don't know if that's still true now, but um, I have an air fryer book, but I do recommend getting an air fryer. So like they can put some things in the fridge and, you know, easily make, you can make a steak in the air fryer. That's delicious. It's really good. You um, can make pork belly in, in the air fryer. There you go. Like all of these things <laughs> right. that you just, you know, um, have some food in the fridge. You make that in the air fryer. A lot of times dorms will have a kitchen um, so they can cook in there. Yeah. Here's the thing, you have to be mentally prepared if you go into that cafeteria. If you really, even if you have celiac, you can still choose like the soft serve ice cream and all of that junk. Right. I mean, I remember there was soft serve. There's all of this stuff at your fingertips. It's going to a buffet. If you're not ready here, it's going to be very difficult. I love that you're saying that because I always work with my clients on their why. And what is your why? And then let's look at the path to get you there. And it, it, it takes being very mindful and being really committed and then also being patient. And I always suggest to parents and um, soon to be college students, before you go away, practice it now. Practice it over the summer where you're not in school. Maybe you're not even working over the summer and you have more free time. Practice, practice giving up going out seven nights a week to party with your friends and seeing if you can get to bed two, you know, an hour earlier. And then maybe it's an hour, half earlier and two hours because that sleep matters. Oh, it does. And these kids do not sleep. They don't put their, um, their, phones and their computers to sleep. And so they don't go to sleep. How it's not even teenagers. It's young kids too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like our school bus, we're lucky. We homeschool our ch- children. I run in the morning. The school bus goes by at like 6 a.m. 
you know, is your kid really going to bed on time? Because those uh, 10 year olds, they need more than eight hours of sleep. Absolutely. Uh, but not a lot of eight hour, uh, 10 year olds that I know are getting more than eight because they have dance until this time and then they have homework and then they have this and that. And then they have to be up on the school bus by six, six thirty. Like they have to be going to bed quite early to be, you know, up on time. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we talk about that enough. Like the sleep requirement for children is more than eight hours. Their brain grows as they sleep. And even as adults, if you're not getting eight hours of sleep, your blood sugars are going to be higher. Yep. You're going to look at those carbohydrates so much like craving. You're going to look at them differently. But even right. myself, if I'm at a wedding or a party and I don't get my, I sleep well more than eight hours. If I don't get my sleep in, I, even though I won't grab sugar or carbs, I'm much hungrier the next day. My yeah. energy's not as good. Your moods start to suffer. They mm -hmm. even studied army rangers. And after three nights of them only getting six hours of sleep, their cells started to look like a type two diabetic. So we should be prioritizing sleep more than we do. Absolutely. So before we end the podcast, I have two more questions for you. Okay. What are your top three foods for all kids, young and older, that should be incorporated into their daily diet? Um, I think that honestly, I think bone broth is like, mm. if we could put a label on that, it would be like a medicinal food. Mm -hmm. I don't think people, you know, they don't, and you don't have to just drink bone broth if that's not your jam. I use it in sauces. I mm -hmm. use it in, you know, a soup or, but the true bone broth, you know, that you're soaking bones in, that's where you're getting a lot of calcium and all of that. So I would say bone broth is a medicinal food. I would say that egg yolks are really mm -hmm. great for, you know, brain health for children. Um, I have a pretty mind blowing, I don't know if you tried my chocolate pudding yet. Oh yeah. Me and all my five kids make it now. Oh, that warms my heart mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, so that's where like, I think an egg is like a perfect food. I love it because it's cheap. Mm -hmm. There was a time when that's what we were eating. Cause we could, that's all we could afford. Um, and I also think like, if you're ready for it, I think organ meat is something that we should try to incorporate because that is the most nutrient dense food without any anti-nutrients in it. Um, but I think people are afraid of trying things. I would say try sweet breads because they are like little chicken nuggets. You wouldn't even know. Oh, okay. really? I haven't even tried them. They're really, they're soft. They're soft. They're delicious. Mm. Um, they're, they're my favorite organ meat and I'm pretty picky. Like I, right. liver is not my jam. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I'm Jewish. And so of course at every holiday, we always have chopped liver. So yep. My kids and I, we love chopped liver and there's healthier ways to make it. Sometimes when you buy it in the deli, it is really uh, mixed in with a lot of junk, but easy, easy to make. Um, but there's also organ uh, supplements. Yep. So if you have trouble eating them, you can absolutely buy. You take them every day. Yeah. 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 Because we don't have access to a lot of organ meat, you know. Um, so we do that every day, just to, like we do brain and all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and what are your top three recipes that you want all kids to be able to make and try that, you know, they're going to love. Okay. The chocolate pudding, because yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Like what happened was my son was a very picky, uh, eater and he didn't like eggs and that's all we could afford. And I was like, how am I going to get this kid to eat eggs? He didn't like scrambled eggs, nothing. And so I threw hard boiled eggs into a blender. This is why I love it. Cause any kid could make it. Mm -hmm. It's dairy free. You throw a can of coconut milk in there. The whole recipe is on my website, but that the chocolate pudding is pretty mind blowing. I made it for Halle Berry and mm -hmm. she's like, Maria, I do not want to eat egg pudding. I was like, please just try it. And it took us a long time for her to actually try it. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is like chocolate mousse. I was like, see, you know, but that's the thing too. I'll suggest don't tell people what it is. Don't be like, right. this is healthy. I don't know if you'll like it. Right. You know, just try it. Um, gosh, my uh, second one. Um, if you can do dairy, I have a protein noodle lasagna. 
Mm-hmm. That I grew up having lasagna on my birthday. Um, and so for me, I needed a replacement. And so I made these, I didn't make them. I bought protein noodles, which are very easy. But if you search protein noodle lasagna with Maria Emmerich, you'll find my recipe. Mm-hmm. It's easier than using real noodles and it will fool any guest. Yeah. So tell everybody what's instead of the noodles. I, I know. I use, I use organic deli meat. Right. I just get like Applegate organic deli mm-hmm. chicken right. or turkey, whatever you want. And right. it's, it's slimy like a noodle. Mm-hmm. It has the texture of a noodle. It, it's perfect for making lasagna. Yeah. Yeah. It's also very good. I've had that. Thank you. You're very mm-hmm. sweet. Um, gosh, the third one. Um, so hard. I guess I love my protein sparing bread, but it's hard. It's, I mean, it's a technique. You have to be able to whip. I, I agree. I love your protein sparing bread. I make it every single week oh, thank you. and I eat it every day. I go to the farmer's market and I buy my, I buy duck eggs. I don't use the, use the duck egg whites in that cause they're expensive, uh-huh. but I make yep. duck eggs with pork belly and I put them on top of your protein sparing bread. And I've made it for several of my kids who also love it. Uh-huh. And I love that you can use it as French toast. Your kids will never know. So if you have a kid that is, you know, really struggling with their weight and you want them to feel like they don't have to be deprived of their favorite recipes, that your bread recipe is such a game changer. It really is. What I want to tell people is I know that everybody's having hardships. You do not have to buy a book. All the three recipes I just said, they're all on my website. Yeah. I'll link them them in the show notes for sure. I do. I want everybody to be successful. Like, yes, you know, it'd be great if you bought a book, but if you can't like the, what the recipes are, there's other, you know, there's, thousands of free recipes or ask your library to carry the books. Cause that's a win-win me and you know, the library and you. Yeah. I would only add to a fourth recipe that I would want all kids to be able to make eventually and also enjoy eating is steak. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's super important. I was just teaching uh, my boyfriend's son who's going to college how to make steak last night. We did a ribeye, a New York strip, and a filet because I wanted him to see how the differences in the amounts of fat available in the meat, how they make um, the cooking technique yeah. different and where you might need to add more fat in cooking. And, you know, he's 17. And I said, it's about time you learned how to make some steak. This is a great skill. It's something so you'll be able to take this with you. It takes all of seven minutes, right? From beginning to end. That's not the easier. Meal prepping. It's so easy. I just need to remember to take the steak out the night before. And that's what I do. Exactly. My favorite is a filet mignon on a cast iron. Just saying. Mm -hmm. I'm a ribeye girl. Are you? Oh yeah. Cast iron? Cast iron. Cast iron. Yeah. Cast iron's the best. Oh yeah, it is the best. It's usually the, it's the number one going away gift I give to all college students that I'm going to gift is a cast iron pan and a meat thermometer. I love it. That's perfect. This is what you need. I I really should go through my like pantry and cupboards and get rid of all this stuff I don't use because I have a huge cast iron. I have a medium cast iron and I have like a cast iron pan. That's what I use all the time. Yeah. That well, Maria, well, Maria, thank you so, so much for joining me today on my podcast. You are such a lovely woman and so generous and, and just so positive. I, I read your Instagram posts all the time. I see your stories. I see the way that people respond to your, your way of guiding them on their own health journey and without judgment and with just pure positive energy. And it's, it's great because so many people have had negative experiences with dietitians and with nutritionists and even with health coaches like myself. Right. Um, but you really approach this as, uh, a, a place to be not judged and have patience. And I see the way people write to you that you've changed their lives and it's truly inspiring. Thank you, Jill. You really made my day. And I really had a great time talking to you. Like, I think we're kindred spirits. Just say absolutely. And we're, um, we're 
hopefully going to plan to do some other cover some other topics but i absolutely you know being a mom to your two and a mom to my five even though there's a big age difference it's all so important and my kids know when they start having babies that you know this grandma is going to be the one in the kitchen cooking with all the babies and i i can't wait for it Awesome. Well, thank you, Jill. Thank you. So in the show notes, everybody, I'll be listing um, all this information, where to find Maria and um, links to all of the recipes we were talking about. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I know I did. And there's definitely handfuls of nuggets to take away. So get in the kitchen with your kids. All right. Thank you so much. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.